Well, again, welcome. I, I, I want to ask you a question that I, I think I know the answer to, but I just want to ask it anyway, because uh, I know it has been true for me. Have you ever been in a really bad way uh, where you needed God to show up, like you were at, at the end of whatever you could do, and there's nothing else you could do, and you needed God uh, to show up and do something? And you've had this thought in those moments, man, I better get right, because if I want God to be willing to show up and do something, I, there's a lot of stuff that's out of joint in my life, and i got to get stuff in order. Uh, the, the reason why we think that way, why we think I better get stuff in order if I want God to show up, is because there's something in us that wants to believe that God grades on a curve. Now, here's the thing. He does, God does reward for obedience, there's no doubt. There's reward for obedience. But to think that any of us could be good enough to manipulate God's hand is uh, really quite full of pride and arrogance. Now, grading on a curve, uh, is, it's, it's great when you're talking about teachers. I, I love teachers that grade it on a curve. Because here's what I know. I, I, I've never claimed to be the smartest, but I sure ain't the dumbest. I've been through a lot of school, high school, college, grad school, seminary, all that stuff. And what I've, what I've realized, there's a lot of brilliant people out there. But there's a lot of real stupid people out there too. And so I, what I know is I've never been the smartest, but I know for a fact I'm not the dumbest. And, and, and so it, grading on a curve is great when you're talking in the context of like a school. Because you don't have to be the smartest, you just got to be average. As long as you're not the dumbest, you're okay. Uh, and it, it works maybe in a school system, but it, it doesn't really work with God. In this series that I've called The Wrong Jesus, we're talking about these things that we misunderstand about Jesus and following him in a wrong way or a wrong understanding about Jesus. And when we do that, when things happen in life and we assume that God's going to respond based on what I believe about him, if we believe something that's in error, the response doesn't match what we hope for. And it causes a lot of grief in a lot of people's hearts, and it causes a lot of people to start to walk away from faith because what they've done is believed in a wrong Jesus. Not that Jesus is wrong, but our belief oftentimes about him is. And one of those beliefs that's wrong is that he grades on a curve. Now, grading on a curve is fine as long as I know that who I'm comparing myself to I'm better than. So we can talk about grading on a curve when we talk about comparing ourselves to humanity because humanity is terrible. When you talk about the evilness of the world, the vileness of humanity, it is atrocious. I, I just, <laughs> I wouldn't even plan on talking about this, but um, I just got a text from um, one of our missionaries in another country. I'm not going to go into the details, but let me just tell you this. Now, what they shared with me about some stuff that's going on there is of the most evil kind of devil that one could imagine, especially against children. It's just horrific. And so when we compare ourselves to humanity, we're not that bad. And none of us are when you compare yourself to humanity. And so grading on a curve works well when we're comparing ourselves to those we know we're better than. Any one of us can compare ourselves to humanity. And we're going to end up on a good side of that curve. But here's the thing. It doesn't work so well when we compare ourselves to the perfection of God and a sinless Jesus. See, grade on a curve only works in your favor 
when you're comparing yourself against something you're better than, or at least average with. Well, none of us are as good as a perfect God and a sinless Jesus. And this is the difference between religion and relationship. And I really want us to understand this. Religion says this, when I compare myself to you, I'm okay. Because I'm at least as good as you. Now, there might be people around us that are better than us, but I guarantee you, we're better than somebody that we're around. Let me look around you right now. You're probably better than at least one of those people you're around. And so religion says as long as I'm better than somebody and as long as I keep doing what I'm doing that's good, I'm okay. The problem is how do you ever know that you've done enough? Like you can never stop doing enough good if it's based on a curve. How do you know you've done enough? That's the danger of religion. Now, here's the other thing about religion. It's both ethically and logically bankrupt. Here's what I mean. Ethically and logically, it doesn't make sense. Because in order for me to be good, the better I become is contingent upon how bad the world gets. So as the world becomes more vile and more evil, my stock increases. That's both ethically and logically bankrupt. Like the world has to get more and more evil for me to get better? It doesn't make sense. I mean, you just think ethically. What kind of religion is that? Logically, it just doesn't make sense. And that's the difference between religion and relationship because relationship is based solely on what Jesus has done, not on what I do. That's the relationship we're talking about with Christianity. And so I want to share with you this, this, this passage of Scripture. It's in Romans chapter 5. All the Scripture we're looking at is on the app uh, on, our, on, our, on our phones, if you got that app. If you got a Bible and have one with you, Romans 5 is where I want to start. I just want to share with you a couple verses, then we're going to jump into to a story of uh, a couple guys that were with Jesus on his last day on earth. Uh, and so uh, this is what the Bible says. Romans 5 says, You see, at just the right time, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the best of us, right? No, that's not what it says. Christ died for the what? For the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. I mean, if they're really, really good. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The significance of the cross, and we just got done celebrating Easter last week, but the significance of the cross can be seen vividly in the two thieves that Jesus was crucified with. He was crucified in the middle with two thieves, one on the right and one on the left. And the Bible says when these two guys initially were on the cross, when Jesus was on his cross, initially they started out cursing him. Mark 15 says those crucified with him, meaning the two thieves, one on the right one on the left, heaped uh, insults on him. They were just bad men. One, they were so bad they were worthy of the death penalty. Two, even in that degraded state, they thought they were better than someone they could heap insults on someone. They were just bad men. But something happened. In the process of hanging on this cross, something happened with one of those thieves. Look at what happened. The book of Luke, chapter 23. Two other men, the two criminals, 
were also led out with Jesus to be executed. When they came to the place called the school, actually the place called Golgotha, and it was a big kind of side of a mountain. It had holes that looked like a school. It was, it's, it's amazing if you ever had a chance to be there. Um, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. One of the criminals who hung there hold insults at him. He said, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. If you can do all this stuff, save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. He said, don't you fear God? Since you were under the same sentence, we're punished justly for what we're, uh, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And so then this thief said, this criminal said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus' answer to him was, truly, I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. We can learn a couple lessons from these thieves that are important for us to learn, to pay attention to. One of the things right off the bat that I learned, I was, I was really praying and looking over this this week, is that I don't have to pretend to be good. When I first started to learn what it meant to follow Jesus, I, needed, I felt like I needed to pretend like I was better than what I was. Um, and what I learned from the thief is I don't have to pretend to be good. We, we don't have to be good enough for Jesus to do what Jesus has done. He's already done it. Jesus died for a bad man. He died for a very bad man. And that's really good news and it's really freeing. freeing uh, because the, the, we try so hard to convince ourselves that we're good. Because we want to be the best in ourselves. And we try hard to convince other people that we're good. And we work so hard trying to prove that we're good, we don't realize that the better I try to make myself, the more it lessens the significance of the sacrifice. The sacrifice is so powerful because it was for a bad man, not for a good man. Now, I want you to know something, that Jesus chose to die for both thieves. One of the thieves acknowledged Jesus as Savior. The other rejected him as Savior. But Jesus died for both of them. You understand that? For the thief that rejected Jesus, and this is what we have to understand, for the one that rejected Jesus, Jesus' death didn't negate his denial. You understand what I'm saying? Like he chose to die for both. One agreed to, to, to view him as Savior. The other one rejected him. Just because Jesus chose to die for him didn't negate his denial of Jesus. See, we can negate the benefit of Jesus' death for us by rejecting him. And when we do that, we make a transition that says, now I will pay for my sin with my own life. That's not a good transaction. Though Jesus died for me, if I reject that, I negate that death to cover my sin, and I agree to pay for that myself. See, it's important to realize that Jesus chose to die for both these thieves before they could acknowledge what he had done. Before they made any acknowledgement as to who he is, he chose to die for them. And this is what he's done for each one of us. I want, I want you to understand this. That Jesus died before we, not because we. Jesus died before we, not because we. See, we oftentimes think that that Jesus will accept me because I, 
Jesus will accept me because I'm good. Jesus will accept me because I'm becoming religious. Jesus will accept me because I'm not doing a bad stuff. We, we think in terms of that transaction that because I, Jesus will. And that's a view of a wrong Jesus because he died for us and has chosen to accept us before we, before we become good, before we get religious, before we go to church, before we stop doing, before we start doing. But I can negate his acceptance of me and turn my back on that acceptance if I deny his lordship. And that's what one of the thieves did. I hear people tell me uh, quite often, well, if Jesus died for my sin, then I'm good. And there's no desire and there's no transformation to change my life, to let Jesus lead my life and submit to him. The assumption is he died for me, then that, listen, we can negate that in our lives by rejecting his lordship. Know this, if one doesn't submit to the lordship of Jesus, that means to his leadership in our lives, his death is of no effect. It simply remains a statement of fact. See, in these thieves, this is one of the things I see. I see proof of God's love for me through the thief on the cross. And I want you to understand this, that Jesus chose to die for the thieves before they could do anything to merit it. They're on the cross. Like they had no option to change anything. Their behavior wasn't going to change. Who they were, their history couldn't be rewritten. They had no option to get right with Jesus. And we're fooling ourselves if we think we're going to get right before we accept him. We're fooling ourselves. Jesus doesn't require nor want us to get right before we acknowledge who he is. Matter of fact, the getting right part with Jesus happens after he works in our life, not so that he'll work in our life. And it's really important to understand the distinction. See, that thief, the one who acknowledged who Jesus was, think about it. For, just think about it for a minute. See, my fear is that, is that people have heard uh, the Bible uh, long enough and so many times in one way or another, they just kind of miss the power of what's going on. This thief that was on the cross, one on his right, one on his left, the one who said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, that thief, that was the toughest decision anybody could make on the planet at that point to acknowledge Jesus as a Savior. Here's why. A lot of people think, well, he's on the cross. What's he got to lose? Might as well try Jesus. Well, think about it. That thief was the, the statement of faith that that thief made was the only profession of faith by any voice in the entire world. One singular voice. Every other voice on the planet. Every other voice on the planet was rejecting Jesus. He was the only voice. Even his family and friends stood at the edge of an angry mob silent. His was the only voice in that moment. To profess faith. He was the only expression of faith. So powerful. And because of that statement of faith, not the change of behavior, that statement of faith. Jesus, I believe who you are, and I believe you got a kingdom that I want to be a part of. 
Because of that, Jesus offered him a paradise that was undeserved. Today you'll be with me. See, what I learned from the thief is that I have to rely on God's mercy, not my goodness. I've got to rely on God's mercy, not my goodness. And this is where we fall prey and danger to when we really need a man. Now I'm going to be good to earn him doing something for me. So manipulative. I have to realize that i got to rely on his mercy, not on my behavior. Jesus promised paradise because of God's mercy, not because of the merit of a thief. This is the, this is the crux of what Christianity is. All the great ones in the Bible, Abraham and Moses, Noah, David, Peter, Paul, all the great ones of the Bible, they were all terribly imperfect and all struggled to obey. And yet they believed in faith, and because of God's mercy and grace, he transformed their lives and used them. See, this, the lesson I learned from the thief is not only do I have to rely on God's mercy, not my goodness, is, is, is that I have to make a transition in my mind, and I have to recognize the reality of his kingdom. I have to recognize the reality of his kingdom. Now, I'm certain there was a lot about the kingdom that the thief didn't understand. My goodness, he's in the last throes of life. But the thief understood that there was a kingdom. He might not have got it all right, and he might have misunderstood what the kingdom was, but he knew there was a kingdom, and he knew he wanted to be a part of it one way or the other. He was convinced that this kingdom was real. Matter of fact, Luke 23, he says it. Remember me when you what? Come into your kingdom. That's something real. That's, that's tangible. I want to be a part of that. See, even the thief knew and believed in the kingdom, though he couldn't see it. And this is why one of our values is what we call the invisible kingdom. We believe in this thing, even though we can't see it right now. We value the invisible kingdom. We believe there is a kingdom, and we believe we're citizens of another kingdom. And so we invest greatly in that kingdom because we're going to, we know we're going to spend a lot more time in that kingdom than in this kingdom. We actually believe, get this, this is how crazy, this is how crazy Christ followers are. We believe what the Bible says, and we believe in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first his what? His kingdom. It's real. And this thief got a glimpse of it and said, all I want you to do is to remember me in it. Seek for, we believe this, that if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these other things of this kingdom will be added to us. All these things, understand what this verse says, that these things that will be given to us will be given to us once we prove that the invisible kingdom is our priority. Seek it first. See, where we get it wrong so many people want to thrive in this kingdom and ask for help from that kingdom to help us thrive in this kingdom. And Jesus has said, when you put that kingdom first, then all of this kingdom stuff gets thrown on top. See, when we aim for this kingdom, we miss that kingdom. But when we aim for that kingdom, we get this kingdom thrown in. So we've got to be convinced of that kingdom. 
Because when I'm convinced of that kingdom, it changes everything. And I get access to that kingdom, not by my behavior, not by being good, but through a simple faith. You understand? Something else I realized from these thieves. I love the story of these thieves. I mean, too bad on them for, you know, being on a cross and dying and all. That was a kind of a bad deal. But, but I love the lesson that I learned from them. See, here's, here's, here's one of the things i got to learn from these, from these thieves. That I have to remember what I've been saved from. i got to remember what I've been saved from. And this is the danger of all you religious people. See, really religious people have been in church a long time. They forget how bad they are and they could have been. Church people are the worst of that. Start thinking you're, 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 you're all good and, and you're not bad and you get a bunch of like church warm fuzzies and you've forgotten. And the thief reminds me that i got to recognize and I, ha- I have to remember what I've been saved from. See, these thieves knew how guilty they were. They're hanging on a cross for goodness sake. They're not like, you know, convicts in America where 90% of them are innocent, right? I mean, the, these guys, they <laughs> I thought that was funny. They knew that they were guilty. They're hanging on a cross. But here's the thing. There were three crosses, right? Jesus in the middle and the thief on the right and the left. There were three crosses. There should have been three people on those crosses. This one was not intended for Jesus. There was another thief that should have been on this cross. Do you want to know who it was? Luke 23 tells us the story of a man named Barabbas. Barabbas should have been the other one on the cross. He was, the Bible says he was an insurrectionist and a murderer. That he was trying to overthrow the government, create, committed murder in the process of it. And he was on death row to be crucified. Now here's how I know that he should have been the third with these other two. Because in the Greek, the exact same word that's used to describe Barabbas is used to describe these two thieves. The exact same word. They're talking about the same group of people. Insurrectionist, murderer, violent, violent men. It is most likely that Barabbas was in uh, was a cohort of these two other thieves. That's why there was three crosses. It should have been him. So why was Barabbas not on the cross? Why was Barabbas not sentenced to his own guilt? This is this is amazing. <clears throat> when the Jews wanted to, uh, to, to uh, trump up charges so that Jesus would be crucified. They didn't have the legal power or right to carry out crucifixion. They wanted Jesus crucified. And so they had to convince the Roman government to uh, pronounce him guilty of a capital offense worthy of crucifixion. And so when Jesus was arrested, he went through three civil trials and three religious trials. The three civil trials was before the Roman government. Uh, who was ruling the nation of Israel at the time. And so they bring Jesus before Pilate, and they, 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 they charge him with all this stuff. And Pilate, in, in, in the examinations that happened throughout the course of his, his trials, uh, the Roman officials couldn't find anything worthy of a death sentence. And so uh, this is all happening in this courtyard area. And right beside the courtyard area are these jail cells where the prisoners are held. And these people, these, these prisoners in the jail cells are not close enough to hear conversations, but they're close enough to hear roars. And so 
Barabbas, we know, is held waiting in prison for his execution by crucifixion. As the story goes, when the Jews bring Jesus and present him to the Roman officials and before Pilate, the Romans had this custom that they would release one criminal, let him go free, clear him of all charges to appease the Jews, to keep them all kind of calm. And so Pilate, knowing this, has Jesus before him, has heard the charges, has questioned him. He has no reason to convict him of a capital offense. He says, I find no fault in this man. And then he says this. This is so interesting. He says, but in honor of our agreement and our custom, it's during the Passover, I will release one prisoner and let him go free. I'll beat him so he knows that we're in control, but I'll let him go free. I don't have to crucify him. And so the Bible says that he asked this mob the question, who do you want me to let you go free? Those in the jail cell can't hear the conversation, but they can hear the mob screams. And what those in the jail cell hear is Barabbas, 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 give us Barabbas. And then the next question is this. What do you want me to do with Jesus? And those in the jail cell here, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Do you understand what's happening? Barabbas is in the jail cell. He doesn't hear the questions. He just hears the mob. And what he hears is, Barabbas, give us Barabbas. Crucify him, crucify him. Barabbas, give us Barabbas. Crucify him, crucify him. Imagine what he's thinking as he hears the jailers walk down the hallway and the chains rattle. All he's heard, he knows what he's guilty of. All he's heard is Barabbas, Barabbas, crucify him, crucify You don't think this insurrectionist, murderer, violent man is ready to fight when they unlock that door? And then he gets the word. No, you're set free. And it doesn't compute. So I'm set free. And they say, yeah. Because Jesus is just taking your place. Like, we have to understand what it is we're guilty of. Barabbas knew what he was guilty of, and he knew what he had been saved from. I need to ask us this question. Do you know how guilty you are? Or are you trying to play good? See, we've got to know our guilt, and we have to admit our doubt. The other thief that rejected Jesus, his words were this, if you are the Christ, if you are the Christ. Only those who are on the margins of faith use the word if when it comes to Jesus. And, and, and here's the thing. You might be an if person this morning. You're not convinced yet. I just simply ask you to consider the claims of Christ and the actions of his life. If you're one who would be an if person Today, I just simply ask you to consider the claims of Christ and the actions of his life. Jesus has done everything prior to the cross to answer and address every if question. If you have an if question, if Jesus you are, Jesus has done everything prior to the cross to answer the if questions. See, the cross, I want you to understand this, the cross is not the answer to the ifs. The cross is the proof of the because. Jesus answered and gave proof of all the ifs prior to the cross. So the cross now is not the answer to the ifs. The cross is proof of the because. It's proof of Jesus saying, because I love you. 
because you can't pay this price on your own because I want to spend eternity with you because. Because. So what was the turning point for the thief? The turning point for the thief that believed Christ, I think it was this. He probably heard all the teachings of Jesus. He heard everything that Jesus had said. I mean, he was... This part of the people and part of the culture, part of the society in which Jesus worked and taught. I think the turning point was this. That he understood his guilt. And he watched how Jesus dealt with those who were responsible for his crucifixion. He watched how Jesus handled those who were responsible for his crucifixion. All we need to do is look at Jesus and how he treats the ones who were responsible for the sin that required the cross. See, here's the thing. He went to the cross because of the sin that I've committed. And he offers me eternal life. And the only payment Jesus asks of me in response to that offer is faith in what he's done. That's how he's treated me. In light of my guilt, the only thing he's asked in the offer of eternal life is not behavior, but acknowledgement in what he's already done. That's how he's treated me. And for me, that is enough. And I'm changed because of how he's treated me, the one responsible for the sin that required the cross. And that's what the thief saw, and that's what changed the thief, and that's what I've seen, and that's what's changed me. See, Romans 2 says it was... By, for, because of grace and his loving kindness that has led us to repentance. The only difference between us and the thieves is we ain't got caught yet. At least we're not hanging on a tree because of it. See, here's, here's what I know. Some of y'all should be in lockup. And some of us should be in the depths of hell. But caught or not, Jesus treats us with the same mercy and grace. See, and the one, here's the thing, and I'm going to wrap up pretty soon, but I, I need to tell you this, that, 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 that the ones who get the most excited about this are the ones who realize how much they've been saved from. The ones who get the most excited are the ones who realize how much we've been saved and rescued from. I get excited about this because I know my sin. You don't know my sin. I'm not telling you my sin. But I know my sin, and God knows my sin. And that's why I get so excited. And I realize that people don't like when I start hollering, but I don't care. Because, it, like, if you, under, if you only knew, if you only knew <laughs> that I'm, I'm the great, great sinner. I'm a great sinner here, and I don't say that with pride or arrogance. I just I'll boast in the grace that God's given me because I know I look in the rearview mirror of my life and I see how far God brought me, and that's worth getting excited about because I know what I deserve, and I know there's a lot of people saying, "Well, you're a preacher, you're a pastor, you look pretty good." I mean, I do look pretty good, honestly, but but it's just it's like like you you can't be that bad. Here's the thing: I look better than what I've been through. I look better than what I've been through. I've been through hell. It often does at my own hands. And I just look better than what I've been through. But I know what I've been through. And this is the stuff that excites me. And so I will respond to God's loving kindness. And I will respond to his mercy. And I will respond to his grace. Not by trying to be good enough because I can't be. And it's when I respond to the full measure and magnitude of his mercy and his grace that I move from being a fan to a fanatic. 
and I still have not understood why it's okay for me to be a fanatic about the Oakland Raiders. They ain't done nothing good for me in decades. I don't understand why it's okay in this culture for me to be a fanatic about the Raiders and not a fanatic about Jesus. Like the world's, like everybody's okay if I'm a fan of just, hey, I like Jesus a lot. But when I get fanatical about it, like I understand what he's done for me. And the thief did too. And I wonder, do you? Come up here. I got to get done. Here's the thing. This is the real Jesus. This is the real Jesus we're talking about. This is the real Jesus that is patient with us in our failings that has died for our failures, that it offers us a place in his kingdom, not because we merit it, but because of his mercy and his grace that cannot be earned. It just has to be received. And the only response he's asked of us is faith and follow. That's the only thing he's asked. And we show that we have faith and we show that we follow in real time when his kingdom becomes our first priority. And when that happens, when his kingdom becomes our first priority, even things like the coronavirus don't shake us nor frighten us because we know that there is a real kingdom and I have access to that kingdom, not because of my behavior, but because of my faith in him. And that kingdom is more real and lasts forever. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Understand that? I don't invite you right now. Just wherever you are right now, just do a little business with Jesus. And if it helps to close your eyes, I'm asking you to close your eyes. Just so you're not distracted. But I just want to walk you through a few things that are so vitally important. And one of those things is to realize that the kingdom is real. And you have an opportunity right now to say, Jesus, I believe in your kingdom. I don't understand a lot about it, but I'm beginning to believe that it's real and I want to be a part of it. And then to say, I realize my own depravity. I try to act like I'm good. I try to pose like I'm good. I try to fool people that I'm good, but I realize who I am. And I don't come to you based on how good I am. I just come to you asking, remember me. I'm sorry that I deserve to hang on a cross because of my sin. Just remember me when you come into your kingdom. Just tell him, as much as I know how, as much as I know how, I'm going to follow you. As imperfectly as that is, I'm going to follow you. As poorly a job as I will do, I'm going to follow you. Tell him, God, you are now stuck with someone like me. You're now, you chose to accept me. Now you got me. Best I know how. I'm going to follow you. That's it. Rick, can we sing? We picked that up a little bit. We all know we were buried for your shame and my shame. Now it's time to get happy, right? <laughs>